0: Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Matt Harmon. Now, quick reminder to all you beautiful people listening out there, you can sign up for a fantasy football league right now. Over at Yahoo Sports, of course you can sign up for Yahoo Sports. There's basketball leagues, there's traditional standard redraft league, the whole thing. Get in right now while it's hot, but... Today, but what I'm more excited to do today is to talk to my man, my friend, Scott Pienowski. Scott, how's it going, man?
1: Uh, I'm doing great. I'm doing, I, I noticed I was your good friend on the, on the first take of that. So I guess I've been downgraded in the last 10 seconds, c- kind of like the Rams backfield. So uh, yeah, let's talk some football, man.
0: Uh, honestly, you know, I go back and forth between uh, calling people like my pal or my good friend or, you know, this, that, or the other. So it's a real, honestly, it really is a roll of the dice. If I just intro you by your name, that's bad. If I'm, I'm just joined by you know Scott Pianowski, that's a bad sign.
1: I was afraid. I was afraid you got a hold of my combine metrics, and that that did, you know, or, or maybe I didn't grade out well on reception perception. You know, I, I wasn't running the drag right, or, or you know, I, I wasn't uh, you know turning my hips the right way, or whatever it was.
0: Well, to be honest, you know, Scott, we'll talk offline, but you've, you've got a good post route, but we got to work on the corner and some of the comeback stuff. But we'll talk about that later. We'll, we'll get into all that. But before we do talk about the Rams backfield, because that is uh, the topic du jour today on Fantasy Twitter, everybody's got something to talk about with the with the Rams backfield. We do have some, like, actual kind of positive momentum when it comes towards a football season. Uh, I don't know about you, Scott. I think I said this on Last week's podcast or one of the more recent podcasts, I've been feeling more negative about whether there's going to be a football season or just feeling generally more negative about the prospects of football in 2020 the last few weeks. But I will say over, you know, from Monday to to today, Tuesday, as we're taping this, things are starting to seem a a little bit more positive. But the one big thing that's going to come out of this that we know probably know for sure. Uh, when it comes to fantasy preparation, is that it looks like the NFL and the NFLPA are going to agree. The players are going to get what they want out of this, which is good for them. That there's going to be no preseason games this year. So I got to ask you, man, what the hell are we going to overreact to this year without preseason games?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I feel like that's an extension of the way things have been going for a while, where we've seen teams just you know bubble wrap the stars. They they hardly play. Uh, at most, there were going to be two preseason games this year. I, I feel like they've been phasing out the preseason. It, it's always kind of been a scam on the ticket holder, right? I mean, oh yeah, you you signed up for twenty, you know, or eighteen, you know, games, but two of them are, are exhibition games. But you know, we'll still charge you twelve dollars for a hot dog and, and thirty five dollars to park, whatever it is. So I, I feel like they were kind of phasing this out anyway, and we been able to learn less and less and less from the preseason every year. I mean, I know there's people like Adam Levitan who are going to miss the preseason because they crush it for DFS. I have, I've just taken it. I, I was never a big preseason guy anyway, as far as trying to learn. I mean, you want to see who plays and what packages. And that tells you, you know, it's a way of learning how the, the teams may f- View their talent and everything, but I, I was never that big on trying to glean anything from exhibition games anyway. And I was really trending less and less every season. So I guess, you know, that's just going to boil down to a big fat zero.
0: Yeah. I'll miss that moment where, uh, you know, the entire timeline starts to tweet like football is back in the first preseason game. Like, yeah, football's back. And then, you know, 10 minutes into it, it's like, Oh, this is, you know, not football. This is Andre Williams in the hall of fame game for the giants, you know, railroad and, a few teams and then it turns into, you know, he's, he's not even a guy that's uh, at any point relevant. So, yeah, I mean, it is kind of a bummer though. I I have thought to myself, like, started to think about, I think I said this on Twitter today, but just privately started to think like, I feel like our preparation for the traditional process of even just putting, putting things together is going to be totally different. You know, I know Tom Pellicero tweeted this today. Uh, Ian Rappaport was tweeting back and forth about, just what the league wants versus what the you know pl- versus what the players' association wants. But, I mean, we're talking about on the 20th day of training camp, the pads are going to go on for these players. So even just beyond the fact that like, we're not even going to get preseason preparation, traditionally, like, reports from training camp are going to look totally different. Have you thought at all about just how you're going to approach this season differently from a process standpoint? Because I feel like I'm going to have to totally overhaul everything.
1: You know, I, I feel like I've trotted this out so so often, it's become a cliche now, but this has just been a continuity season for me. I, I want to bet on teams that have coaching staffs that are established, that have offenses, you know, where the, where the quarterback is established. Most of the skill guys are the same. I like to see continuity on the offensive line. Now, now continuity also in the NFL is a way of saying that something works because we know the, mo- the moment anything doesn't work in the NFL, they change it. The coordinator gets fired. We got to get rid of this quarterback. You know, the, this right guard is a turnstile. Um, whatever it is, you know, I, it, it's funny. Somebody recently, uh, I think it might have been JJ Zacharyson, was was posting some leaderboards from four or five years ago, and you just see names of players you, you weren't even, you, you know, totally out of your consciousness, right? You've you've taken that hard drive and, and all that data in your mind, just thrown it in the trash because you know half those guys don't even exist in our worlds anymore. The NFL, more than any other fantasy sport, just turns over so quickly. Now, the interesting thing about the continuity card is that we had a very truncated preseason in 2011, and that just happened to be a year where you know, Cam Newton you know, detonated on the NFL, and, and, and Julio Jones was great right away, and A.J. Green was great right away. So I've gotten a little bit of pushback on how much continuity means. Now, I, I might just say that, look, you know Newton, Green, and, and Julio, they're just special players who are able to hit the ground running. I, I, don't, I don't know that that necessarily applies to the players that we have now. Although, interestingly enough, we did have a great rookie receiver class last year. You know, I think the second best I've ever seen other than that 14 class. But, um, you know, we we, look, we know we want to invest in good offenses anyway. We want to invest in play designers we trust and and stuff like that. I more than ever, though, I mean, it breaks my heart. I look at somebody like DeAndre Hopkins, not on my board. You know, a great player. Uh, I think he'll be good in Arizona eventually, but he's a good example of, somebody who changed teams who I've dramatically, it, it, it's not even so much like I'm, I'm not ranking him like 37th or something. I just know that I rank him low enough that I won't get him unless everybody else in my league is dead set against Hopkins too with all the change over this year. So I, am trying just to step into continuity. I've always liked continuity anyway, but this year that's been my, my calling card it has been my watchword.
0: Yeah, t- totally. I get that. And then you, you know, you look at offenses uh, like the box where there's a, a totally new quarterback you maybe start to downgrade some of those players. I'm with you that it's the same thing with a guy like Hopkins. Like, I'll probably rank him what? Like wide receiver three, four, five? I don't even know. But even then, I'm probably never – even if I rank him that way, I'm probably never clicking his name in the draft because I've just lowered those expectations so much. And there's several guys that, 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 that fall into that category. On the note of continuity, actually, I wasn't going to bring this up, but I, I saw our, our friend Heath Cummings from CBS Fantasy tweeted this today – I wanted to get your thoughts on this list since we're talking about continuity. Number one wide receivers with continuity at quarterback, head coach, and offensive coordinator. This is the list. Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, Tyreek Hill, Juju Smith-Schuster, Kenny Galladay, Tyler Lockett, A.J. Brown, Marquise Brown, and Jamison Crowder. Number one, that list seems smaller than I would think at first blush. But also, my other takeaway, too, is in addition to there being some guys later that I wanted to draft, there's a lot of, like, studs at the top of that list that do have that continuity.
1: Right. Yeah, I I thought it was interesting what you recently put a post out that Adams is your number one receiver this year, right? Yep. Um, Which, look, I I, I can get behind Adams. Um, The only problem I have with him is I'm just afraid of what my running backs are going to look like if I take a receiver in the first round. And I feel like if you don't take Adams in that first pass, you're not going to get him. Um, but yeah, what what that list that that uh, Cummings list that you just rattled off ten names I think it was you know and a couple of guys I mean you know we all love AJ Brown we don't know that Ryan Tannehill is going to come anywhere near approach to the level of play he had last year and you know with Gallaudet I mean the, the, Stafford's coming off a major injury and, and and probably on the back nine of his career I'm not not even like everybody on that list we could feel that great about
0: right right yeah I'm mean, Jamison Crowder I saw that a lot of people. Uh, in the comments of the tweet, said, "Can we, you know, even verify that Adam GaSe was really there last year? Uh, is continuity with Adam GaSe even a good thing?" So similar to that argument, even once you start filtering it down inside guys who have that continuity, is that continuity always a good thing? One player that did stick out from that list to me was Marquise Brown. I don't know about you, but Marquise Brown has been one of my biggest buys this year. When I look at that 2019 receiver class, my biggest buy in the class is probably is definitely Terry McLaurin, but I think number two might beat Mar- be Marquise Brown, and he does have that continuity there.
1: I'll say this about McLaurin: he, he's not just a target for me. He's like a, I'll elbow people out of the way to get McLaurin. Like I, 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 I'm, I'm willing to risk the ridicule of the entire room saying I'm reaching on the guy. I, mean, I I want McLaurin that badly, and I feel like he succeeded despite nothing going right really around him. Can you say anything positive about the Washington offense last year that didn't include McLaurin? I mean. Peterson, Adrian Peterson had a nice year for a guy who's, you know, in in dog years is like seventy eight right now. I mean, it, it's miraculous that he's still playing in a relatively effective, you know, two down back. So good for him. But um yeah, Mc- McLaurin is somebody that that I'm willing to throw people out of the way. The thing with Brown is that he was hurt all last year and he still had a really nice rookie season. And it got, I think, I always want to see stories in the NFL that are screened by other stories. And in the case of Brown so many receivers popped, rookie receivers popped. Just, it seems like just about everybody, you know, Nikhil Harry, New England, you know, still a little bitter about that, but he was hurt. Brown had a nice season, but it was screened by so many other rookies who popped. And then he just happened to be on a, on a team where the, you know, the NFL MVP w- w- was Jackson and the, and the Ravens tore up the league. And, and there were just so many pieces, you know, uh, Ingram had a cr- incredible year with touchdowns and just a really nice season period. And, you know, Mark Andrews became an elite tight end and, there were so many stories in front of Baltimore, in front of Hollywood Brown, playing on the bad wheel, was never 100%, was never a, a full snap player that, now unfortunately, I think there's been a lot of steam with him in the in the industry, and I think there's, there's been some of that uh, just industry uh, buzz on him has, has bumped the price up, but there's so many other stories in his receiver class and in his own locker room, his own organization, I feel like you're getting him around a round and a half, maybe even two rounds cheaper than theoretically you should be.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've continued to say with him that he's a guy who, despite the fact that Lamar Jackson uh, had this wildly efficient passing season, Marquise Brown not popping off for 16 games is like the biggest surprise in that. You know, like if there's going to be anybody that staves off great regression, and there will be some regression with Lamar's passing numbers because that's just what happens. I think Hollywood Brown could be the thing that does offset that because he is, in my opinion, he's that good. He finished incredibly well in reception, perception, despite the fact, like you said, not playing at full strength. He's a guy who I've, I've interviewed. He's, he's really detailed in terms of his route recognition and, and study and all that. So I believe in the player. And it, it is it is a really good situation that does have a lot of good continuity. You know, good head coach that we believe in good offensive play caller from last year and the MVP of the league at quarterback. That's pretty good continuity
1: yeah i mean the ravens being able to keep greg roman right because i mean after last year it, it would have been a lot of times you just the problem with coordinators is that when they when they make it um when they prove they're, they're bonafide somebody else hires them they get they get promoted out of it and you know I, i'm always excited when a, i don't want to see anybody fail necessarily but when like a form when a offensive head coach gets fired and gets back into that coordinator spot i think that's a fascinating time to get reinvested uh we saw Phillips was, was had a really good run at defensive coordinator after his head coaching years. I think uh, Jay Gruden could be interesting in Jacksonville. I don't think the team's going to be that good. But you know, Jay Gruden's still a, a good offensive football coach, and maybe he shouldn't have been a head coach. So uh, you know, the fact that they can keep Roman after that, what, going 14-2 and and, and and everything kind of blowing up there is a big hit. Let, let me ask you this. With this receiver group, this, this second-year group, it used to be, I'm dating myself a little bit. 15 or 20 years ago, it used to be okay, third season. That's when everybody sat on the receivers. The first year was like, you know, just just get your key into the facility, you know, learn the playbook. You're gonna you're not gonna play that much. You know, offenses were totally different then. The usage trees were so much more narrow. And you know, it was oh my god, these guys are using three receivers on this play. Why? This is like a gimmick offense. You know, now we see so many more players get on the field. A rookie receiver can be productive. A lot of them were last year. I wonder, has year two become what year three used to be, do you think, for the young receiver?
0: I think so, and, you know, there's a couple of things. There. Number one, Scott, you don't have to date yourself that bad, man, because like even when I started playing you know, fantasy, and that was back in, you know, like 2008, and then started like writing about it seriously, which was you know, 2013, I still feel like that was the rule event. You know, 2013, we were still talking about, I think maybe that 14 class was what came in and sort of changed that right away because they were so good at the jump. But even this class last year, like I agree, there's so much. Like you want to see some potential in year one. Like it is, it is a little disturbing that Nikhil Harry didn't hit the ground running. But there was the injury there. Seems like him and Cam Newton are throwing together, which is kind of exciting too at this point. But then you, but you rarely do get the guys like DJ Chark who just are totally nothing year one, and then in year two they're like a thousand yard receiver. That seems rare to me, but. There, I would agree that in year two is where you kind of want to see it because by the time most of these guys are out there running routes as rookies, they've already got enough experience that we want them to be quality contributing starters in year two. Otherwise, like who, who are the guys that we've waited on long term and have paid off that didn't hit in year two? That's, that list it seems much shorter to me than guys who in year two, they showed it, they were you know, quality starters right away, and they, got, they you know, got running with the rest of their career.
1: You know, maybe by extension, this also leads to a tight end discussion because there are so many second-year tight ends that I love just in general. You know, I would love them for Dynasty or for Keeper. That's kind of a crutch. Sometimes you can say, oh, you know, buy that guy in Dynasty. But I don't know about season long. But, yeah, I look at guys like Noah Fant. Um, I look at guys like Hawkinson who had an up-and-down first year. But the, the thing that's different with tight ends is that their position, there's so much more to the, you know, with all the blocking responsibilities. Of course, we love tight ends who are used like, you know, hybrid receivers. And, and you know, I, I, I love a, rec- a tight end who doesn't have to take out the trash, so to speak. I mean, yeah, there's going to be guys like Kelsey and Gronkowski you know, at their peaks. It's not going to matter. You know, George Kittle, they're great blockers. They're going to be great receivers too. But I wonder what the sweet spot is. I, I've seen a lot of people be really aggressive on Fant this year. I've seen people be aggressive on Hawkinson. A um, little, little bit of a horse of a different color, but i see a lot of people really excited about what Hurst may do finally presumably the starter in Atlanta you would think they did pay a lot to get him of course he came into the league at an advanced stage so you know and let's not forget he was drafted before Lamar Jackson I'm never gonna forget that piece of trivia but um I I wonder if maybe year three like again like the thing with Fant is like I know there's gonna be a year I'm gonna be thrilled to be overweight on Fant I just wonder if that's maybe more of a year three thing than the year two thing
0: Yeah, we've definitely seen tight ends be a slower burn position uh, than wide receivers. And there's a lot of guys that are intriguing this year. You know, Gasecki could be the guy who's the year three three, eruption candidate who we saw pretty positive signs in year two. Um, So there's plenty. I I think that could definitely be like the new rule, like you said. Um, And just updating on an earlier topic while we were recording, uh, Tom Pellicero from the NFL Network did uh, send an update from the NFLPA call with the players tonight. There are going to be no preseason games. It's official now in 2020 and the union is still pushing for a longer ramp up period in camp. Uh, as I said, uh, Ravenport said that, that the league wants it to be, you know, 20 days or the, the one of them wants it to be like over 20 days, which is, I mean, they're pushing for a longer ramp up period than that. That's, that's pretty wild. So again, this off season is definitely going to be uh, unprecedented and kind of last note on that topic before we hit some like player specific situations. I thought our colleague Therese Paler put out a really cool piece uh, today kind of detailing what Casey's training camp opening up is starting to look like. I know Peter King also had a really good piece uh, where he visited the Vikings facility. My one my one takeaway from reading both of these pieces is uh, it is going to be just a huge pain in the ass to, to get this to all work out together. There's just so much that has to go into disinfecting the facilities keeping guys distant like if this all does work and i'm still skeptical that it does it will be a huge coup but one thing that i thought uh, came i know one of our editors joey galino pointed this out on twitter too there's gonna be a big discrepancy between the teams who have their together and the teams that don't um so i think that's really interesting have you thought at all about i've started to think about this too we're talking about Washington being excited about Terry McLaurin I don't want to necessarily change my board there but if we're talking about a dysfunctional organization it's in the news right now by the way again for being dysfunctional does that sort of change your thoughts on like how you can really trust a team like Washington to put this thing together
1: yeah I mean I guess that loosely comes under the coaching umbrella I mean when you list the, like the three or four or five things that all really good coaches have in any sport attention to details always on that list you know I've, I've heard stories about. Bill Belichick playing a preseason game in Toronto and knowing that the hash marks were off by like the tiniest of margins. And, it, and they had instructed their receivers to run a certain way by, by the, the way the field was lined up. And he knew that was wrong. And he's like, we're not playing on this field. It's, it's not uniform. You have to fix it. Um, attention to detail is, I mean, I've always said that what are the three most important things to success? I think it's work ethic, attention to detail, and then getting away from Adam Gase. I think you can follow those three things. Uh, you're pretty much success is going to come calling, but I, I would loosely consider that just coaching, you know, organization um, and, and that's kind of baked into um, the players that I want to draft. But the problem is the guys who are going to have like the continuity you talked about earlier with quarterback and coordinator or being a good system. The, that's like the first few rounds. Eventually you're you're just going to start drafting guys and be like, okay, I don't really like his quarterback. Okay, he's coming off an injury. Okay, he's not at the career arc I would like. Okay, there's more competition for the ball than I would like. Or so there's some role uncertainty. I mean, you you have to start drafting guys with fleas pretty early.
0: Yeah. Right, like I'm in round eight. My three round eight sleepers went the, pick, the three picks right ahead of me. Yeah. You know, that happens every time. Sure. You can have a plan until your plan gets thrown to hell. I'm glad that you uh, brought up Adam Gates because my first thought when I when I was reading this piece and thinking about you know the big discrepancy between teams that have it together and teams that don't, I was like, man, I can only imagine uh, how Matt Patricia is going to like try to skirt some of these <laughs> some of these guidelines or whatever. And then I'm like, man, am I really that excited about you know Kenny Galladay or Marvin Jones at a discount, uh, DeAndre Swift? It's stuff like this though that I feel like we got to at least think about it because if we're approaching it, like it's going to be any other season, you know, at this point, it was, it was cute. It was like cute to do that in in April. Now at this point, it's just like, it's staring you right in the face.
1: Sure. You know, I I think maybe one of the hardest guys for me to figure out this year is Deshaun Watson where it's like, okay, they, they give away Hopkins. Basically they screamed out, okay, first, first reasonable offer gets Hopkins. And then, you know, Arizona makes an offer that may may not even be reasonable. Okay. Done. That's over with, you know, great um they bring in a couple of receivers uh, in Cobb you know back nine of his career they bring in Cooks the Rams set a record for for money eaten in trade that's how eager they were to, to get rid of Brandon Cooks so you know, Cooks has now been uh kind of dished off by the Saints by the Patriots by the Rams it seems like every smart guy in the room you know liked Brandon Cooks a lot more from afar than he did from up close I don't think anybody really feels good in the fantasy community about Bill O'Brien but I love Deshaun Watson love his work ethic ethic love his uh, creativity love his uh, ability to, to make a broken play work I, I you know just his competitiveness um but who the he going throw the ball to I mean you know Will Fuller is great for wh- whatever we can expect to him five games seven games nine games after that I mean he, we're talking about new receivers t- to get involved I wish there were a, a significant tight end I mean you know, he, he found a way to make Darren Fells relevant last year and you know I mean Fells is like a borderline NFL player to be honest but um, it, it's funny how I can love, I can love Watson as a player, but the setup around him has has basically me, I feel like there's so many quarterbacks. You should love the quarterbacks you draft. I feel the same way about receivers. There's just so many viable receivers this year that your first three or four guys should be guys you're kind of all in on. And I don't think I'm going to have any Watson this year. And it's all about what's around him and how quickly he can get up to speed with some of these new pieces.
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting, too. I took Kenny Stills with my last pick in the Scott Fishbowl, and I was like, wow, I mean, Kenny's like, at this point, you know, two weeks into the season, Cooks could be hurt, Fuller could be hurt, and Stills could be, you know, the outside guy there, although they don't seem like that committed to Stills either. So he's a guy who could be a trade candidate at the end of camp. That's a possibility, too. So there, there's a huge, just wide range of outcomes for these Houston receivers. The only thing I will say, and I – I I was just – I was reading this exchange on Twitter, and then I I read, like, the PFF rankings of the top 32 receiver cores in the NFL, uh, 1 to 32. And I I know that um, Sam, PFF Sam there, uh, Sam Monson, made the point that, you know, actually – you know, he's like – there's actually a chance where uh, Hopkins leaving could make Watson a better quarterback. But even in that situation, if I could talk myself into that being good news for for Watson – I'm with you, though. No, I still wish there were options that I believed in more on the other end. There,
1: yeah, and then it also ties into one of the reasons why I'm not going to draft Hopkins is that I felt like he was peppered with targets the moment he got off the bus with Houston, and with good reason. he's he's a dynamite player, probably on a Hall of Fame trajectory. But I don't think I think Arizona their their favorite receiver is the guy with a good matchup, is the guy who's open. Is, is you know they want to have they want to attack you you know, four wide. They want to spread the field and. I don't, I just don't see those 13, 15 target games for Hopkins being very common anymore. And I can see that maybe, maybe not having to rely on one guy. We, we, I could see how theoretically that can be a good thing for Watson, but you know, it's funny as much as Bill O'Brien drives me crazy, I have to at least say this. I mean, look, Houston, it seems like they lose in the playoffs every year in the same week, but um They get there, you know, and last year what they won that game and then they they gave Kansas City a scare for about 45 minutes and the Chiefs, you know, turned on the gas and left them in the dust. But, um, you know, it's still a winning team. I'm not going to pick them. I'm sure I went under when the over under uh, part of their team preview. But, um, yeah, it's just something to be said for for maybe not being locked into one guy long-term could, could help lots. And I, I just wish whoever his presumable number one receiver was this year would, would be better than who it's going to be.
0: Yeah, not a lot of clarity there. And I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before, but I'll say it one more time here. I think the key for Hopkins is not just necessarily that he's going to get, like you said, I don't think he's going to get peppered with targets in Arizona because they're going to be looking for more favorable matchups. If there's anybody that does, if there's any wide receiver that helps that cause it, it, it is DeAndre Hopkins. He owns two of the three highest double coverage rates in reception perception history. Uh, so there, that's a guy that's going to dictate that extra coverage. Fitzgerald, Kirk, maybe even Andy Isabella, uh, Kenny Drake out of the backfield. Those are going to be some good matchups for Arizona, which again might just take off more of that target ceiling from Hopkins. So I think that just leads to the point where we you're talking
1: about earlier. Let's let me, let me ask you before, before you go forward, just because you mentioned Kenny Drake, I, I feel like he's one of the most difficult guys to get a handle on. And if you're drafting anywhere like from nine to 12, I feel like you need a take on Kenyon Drake. Cause he may be somebody you're going to be looking you know, directly at. Um, there's not, I don't think there's automatic picks around the turn. And I think most people want to have at least one running back in, in that spot. Some people might lean into two, uh, which way are you leaning on Drake this year?
0: Leaning positive. Um, I think I'm with you though, that he's a guy that you have to have, you have to have conviction on because he is going to be an option there. If he's not your late round one pick, he's probably going to be in consideration for your early round two pick. Um, I believe in the rushing system in Arizona, they were number two in rushing DVOA last year. Uh, And that was even with David Johnson kicking it around for a decent amount of time. Chase Edmonds popped off a little bit there. I think they've built a very good rushing ecosystem, not just because they have a mobile quarterback. They have a good offensive system uh, under Cliff Kingsbury. Their line is starting to get a little bit better. And I think too, a lot of the a lot of the reasons that they had a successful rushing offense, even when David Johnson kind of looked cooked as a runner early on, they're moving the chains because early in the season they spread things out with so many different wide receivers. That's gonna make it tough for teams to stack the box or try to stuff the run with any degree of regularity. So overall, I I think Drake is a good player like i've always thought that he was a, a very talented overall runner i remember that game that he had with the dolphins against the patriots I, it was a prime time game he looked like a legit feature back towards the end of i think it was the 2017 season i want to say so I, I think he can hack it as as a number one guy so I, i'm i'm definitely leaning more positive towards drake
1: yeah i i think i like him more than than the consensus does not not by a ton but i To the point that I would be comfortable taking him around the turn or where he you kind of have to, you know, go one way or the other on him, the fork in the road there. And also, even though I'm not a big fan of the understudy on the same team running back, I'm very proactively drafting Edmonds, whether it's I have Drake and it's an insurance or it's I'm doubling down or just as importantly, if I don't have Drake and I'm just saying, well, here's an explosive guy who I think is the clear backup in an offense, which I think is going to have rushing lanes and is going to have I mean, what would he have? a four-touchdown game against the Giants. I, mean, I, I know that uh, after, soon after that he got hurt and, and then Drake kind of took over. But uh, Chase Edmonds, because look, once, once you fill presumably your starting running back spots, we're all – I don't care if you're zero RB, if you're jumbo RB, we all want guys on our bench who we think could pop and could be, you know, whether you want to call them league winners, you want to call them profit players, you want to call them spike players, you know, whatever it is, breakout guys. There's a million different terms to say basically the same thing. I'm already overweight on Chase Edmonds. I'm going to have a lot of Chase Edmonds this year.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good take. He was a guy I was bummed that I missed out on in Scott Fishbowl. And – I think all of those things, having league winners on your bench, having upside stashes on your bench could be more important in this season than ever when we might see guys, you know, quarantined here and there, you know, whatever. So I I think that's a really good take. Let's stay in the NFC West. Let's stay in the backfield. Uh, Sean McVay got uh, fantasy Twitter popping a little bit today because, uh, you know, he dropped a classic coach speak uh, phrase. He says he envisions his backfield being similar to the one in San Francisco. Kind of said that it could be a four-way committee. You know, he even threw John Kelly. Uh, and shout out to Liz Loza. We get into the John Kelly debate, you know, from two years ago. Uh, that guy's done nothing in the NFL. You know, they have two guys that they drafted in, in the back, in back-to-back drafts last year. Uh, Daryl Henderson, not far behind from Cam Akers. They still have Malcolm Brown. But, you know, no training camp battles, too. This could is just going to make this situation more interesting. Before today, did you have... A t- you know a convicted take on this Rams backfield and has that as what Big Face said today did it alter it at all?
1: Yeah, you know I, I felt I was probably around the industry average on Acres. I wasn't drafting him proactively. I certainly wasn't avoiding him intentionally. The the fact that the capital that they put into him at the draft and they obviously wanted to get rid of Gurley. I feel I feel like they want him to succeed. I mean, like everybody wants their players to succeed, but I, I felt like they drafted him with the idea that he could be their featured guy or at least at the front end of a committee. And, you know, when teams talk about the things that McVeigh said today, it reminds me a little bit of when a baseball team loses its closer and you hear talk of, oh, okay, we're going to mix and match and we're going to use different guys. But I think what most coaches want on the baseball field is a lot similar to what a lot of football coaches want. What they really are saying is, okay, let's let the players figure it out. And then when somebody shows that they're the alpha dog here, that they're the... The guy we can feature, we're going to let him run with it. We we can't anoint anybody right now. We don't want to get boxed into anything. And we, you know, Pete Carroll always says, you know, one of his favorite things about the, the whole practice thing is competition. And you know, you know let's, let's let the guy sort it out on the practice field, and then to some degree on the on the on game day. But I think I still think they want Akers to be the guy. Um, and and I I don't think if you were a pro Akers person, I don't think today's news should change that stance very much. Although I I do know in my my own personal portfolio, I'm going to have a lot more shares of this passing game, or I'm going to be a lot more proactive with this passing game than I will with anybody in the backfield. But I, I still think it's acres job to lose. I think if there's any back who could be a top 15, top 20 back on this roster, it's certainly him. But, um, you know, you know, a just wants to talk, talk the idea of competition up. And if, if, Hey, if Henderson or Brown hit the ground running, you know m- maybe they could make this interesting. I still think Acres is the overwhelming favorite to be the touch leader here.
0: Yeah, I think Acres is the favorite. Um, but man, I got I got to tell you, like the draft capital argument's interesting because you know Acres was the 52nd overall pick. They just made Henderson the 70, 70th overall pick last year. You know that's not a gigantic It's not as if we're talking about Henderson was an intriguing round six guy, like we were talking about with John Kelly a few years ago. People like John Kelly. He slips to the third day. He never really does anything. McVeigh brought him up today. But again, I think that between Henderson and Akers, I found myself drafting early more of Henderson because he was just the cheaper option, which ultimately means I have no conviction on this backfield, right? Like, I think Akers is the favorite to lead it. I think Henderson is too cheap for the decent odds that I think that he has a chance to be the lead back. What I, I agree with you, what I do agree with you on is that the fact that this backfield right now, McVeigh is kind of saying like, somebody go get it. You know, we've spent a second round pick on this guy, a third round pick on this guy. These are two younger guys. We still believe in, in Brown and Kelly. I don't think he's looking at this with any certainty, which you can question why are you drafting a, a second round running back anyways, just to throw things at the wall and see what sticks. But I agree that this is a backfield that I think is more wide open right now than early ADP suggested.
1: And you know, to be honest with you, the th- the thing the the player on the Rams I've spent the most time this summer thinking about is Tyler Higby. I mean, he was he was the best tight end in fantasy in December. Four straight hundred yard games. He throws eight for eighty four and a touchdown uh, in the in the finale against Arizona. And look, I know the matchups are really good down that down the stretch, and you know, Arizona, which is basically just handing away tight end you know, touchdowns uh, at the airport. But this wasn't Higby getting three catches for 38 yards and a touchdown. This is him getting double-digit target games, four straight 100-yard uh, games for a tight end. I think he's the fourth tight end to do that since the merger. And we're talking about studs here. We're talking about Kelsey. I mean, Jim- Jimmy Graham you know, isn't the same player now, but he used to be a stud. I think that Genie's out of the bottle. I, I know people talk about, well, he was playing behind Everett. and oh, you know, he's not going to sneak up on anybody. But when I look at the way they were using him with the, with the tight end screen game and, and getting him in positions where he could run with the ball after the catch, I find myself – and I know this is – I think this is a real inflection point for a lot of analysts. A lot of people think it's a trap. It's just a small sample. He's maybe not their number one tight end. I think the Genie's out of the bottle. And I think McVay, who's – you know, I mean, he, he's been, McVay's been a meme coach the whole time he's come in the league. First, he was the boy wonder, you know, then he, he morphed into the genius Then it became anybody who had ever had a cup of coffee with him was a hot you know, coaching candidate. Then he kind of got pants by Belichick in, in the Super Bowl. They didn't have a great year last year. Um you know, they, they looked egg on their faces. as they, they got rid of Cooks. The Gurley contract you know, looked really bad really quickly. They're obviously in a bad cap situation now. I still think Sean McVay is a really good coach. And I think, they uncovered something with Higby that I think translates. I mean, he's not going to play at the same level as December. We all know that. But I think he's firmly in the the top 10 at tight end. And I have drafted him proactively several times so far in the draft season.
0: Agree with pretty much everything you just said. And I agree that it's a sticking point, too, in the industry. Like, I've seen some very anti-Higby people, some very pro-Higby people. Uh, I drafted uh, Tyler Higby Higby as my first tight end. Mike Gusecki is my second tight end in the Scott Fish Bowl, trying to, nice. to own that spot there. I, I like both of those two guys heading into this season. And I agree with you, like, not only, like, here's the thing, we could talk about, okay, it was just like a random sample of games. And it was just, you know, one collection of games where Higby was featured, he was used, but two things from that. Number one, they gave him a contract. You know, they've paid him. Uh, you don't. I don't think they would just pay him if they're like, yeah, next year, Gerald Everett, remember when I really liked him as the next Jordan Reed and that was a talking point? Let's just go back to that guy. That doesn't, number one, make any sense. Number two, the Rams, like you mentioned, were kind of a garbage operation for <laughs> most of the year. But I thought when they were at their best as an offense was when they were fig- featuring Higby, when they were moving to that two tight end set offense. They were in the games where he started to pop that, that first Arizona game, they went three and two. If the, if they had the stupid extra playoff team format last year, the Rams would have snuck in based on that stretch with Tyler Higbee. So I think they've communicated with the way they played at the end of last year. And I think we underrate that too. Like, Sure, it's a random collection of games, but I bet you the team looks back and says, that's when we were at, their, at at our best. Let's continue to feature that player. So I'm with you. I've been drafting Higby pretty proactively, and I've been kind of ignoring the higher-priced receivers, like figuring out Woods versus Cup. I probably just don't really care. Uh, I definitely have a lot of questions about Cup. Um, I'm not automatically moving to Robert Woods. So I- I've generally just been forget those guys, probably forget the backfield, and just focus on Higby, the one guy that I have clarity on here.
1: Yeah. And I think with Higby, we can look at the Cooks trade and, and again, all the money they ate, you know, they set a new record for for money eaten in a trade as a way of getting Higby on the field in more packages. They're moving away from the three wide receiver offense. I don't think it's like, oh, well, Josh Reynolds will be Brandon Cooks. I don't think that they feel that way at all. And, and, and I agree with you. If something worked at the end of last season and the quarterback's the same and, and the player's the same and the coach is the same, that, that stuff rolls over, you know, I I mean, the doesn't mean that you know, teams won't have new defenses ready to go and stuff like that, but I, I care about that. Let's, let's put it this way. It's much more important to me that Higby had this run in December than he did in September. If he had in September and then you know, people figured it out and he, he kind of cratered, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. I, I think he's a great target. I also like what you did getting him and Gusecki in the fishbowl, where a league where the tight end scoring is prioritized and, and it's, um, it's a tight end premium league. A great way to make your league more interesting, by the way, is just – around with the settings so it's like your first round isn't like okay 10 running backs and two great receivers you know what's exciting about that I I love the fact that the fishbowl with the super flex quarterback format you can see quarterbacks in the first round you saw a bunch of tight ends in the early rounds it it just makes for a much more dynamic draft we have many more choices and that to me just makes fantasy more fun but uh, yeah I I feel good that uh, we're on the same page with Higby because I I think he's a guy I'm going to have a lot of shares when it's all said and done
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember I wrote a piece for the traditional Yahoo NFL page last year, and it was essentially like, this is where Sean McVay makes his bones uh, as a coach. Like you said, the point where he wasn't just the boy genius anymore. Now he's like, I have a problem. (laughs) I have a problem here on offense. How do I fix it? That was before that stretch with Higby, before they went to more of a power run offense. And Higby was one of the answers to that question. So I think that matters a lot coming into this year. Uh, Last item today, and this is still in the NFC West, sort of. Uh, Scott, Antonio Brown has uh, retired from football again. Um, (laughs) I don't really care so much about that. But what I do care about, although, I mean, I will say if he really is retired, he's a Hall of Famer, one of the best receivers I've ever watched play. uh, Reception perception superstar uh, set the standard for route running when he was in the league. If he really is gone, I don't really believe he's gone, but if he really is gone it's a shame the way things have, have ended for him because he was a hall of famer and, and one of the best. I mean, he still is going to be a hall of famer in my opinion, but whatever. Um, but one thing that does matter headed into this season is the team that it sounded like there was the, doing the most homework on Antonio Brown was the Seattle Seahawks. And I don't know about you, but when Brown did retire, uh, even if he intends to try to come back at some point, it feels like hopefully, Seattle's going to let that thing go because I don't know about you. I'm so high on Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf that I didn't want Antonio Brown coming in there and screwing it up. So I was curious, where do you stand on this Seattle tandem, especially now that they might have this big problem off their hands?
1: Yeah, this is where I just basically agree to everything you just said. You know, I don't, it doesn't bother me that, that Lockett and um, Metcalf are never going to be those 152 target guys, you know, or I mean, it used to be you know guys would, be around 180 to 200 targets. I don't think anybody gets those anymore. But um, you know, we saw a few years—what two, two years ago—it was Lockett had the perfect 1583 three rating on passes thrown to him, and we all thought, okay, well, he's going to lose a lot of that efficiency, but he'll get more targets. How many more will he get? He didn't get a boatload more, but you don't need that many with Russell Wilson. One thing, one math thing you have to understand with Russell Wilson, and, and yes, you know, the offense—they want to run the ball, they want to be balanced, and Schottenheimer drives us crazy and all that stuff, but. Russell Wilson is so efficient. It's going to give him less volume and it's part of why he's great. And so guys like Lockett and, and guys like Metcalf don't need that many targets to be no doubt wide receiver twos with wide receiver one upside because they're Russell Wilson targets. We'll see if Greg Olson has anything kicking left. We'll see if any third receiver steps up, but there, there isn't a back who's going to catch 75 passes here. I don't think there's a tight end. Who's going to be a major factor. So, um, you know, if you say to me, uh, Lockett or Metcalf, I just go, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have Lockett. I'm going to have Metcalf. I'm not against rostering them in the same team. If it happened to fall that way, I wouldn't necessarily do it in pur- on purpose, but I'm fine with that. And you know, Brown, look, I, I hope he gets his, his life together, finds what makes him happy. I agree with you. A walk-in Hall of Famer, in my mind, was the—I I believe if you take the quarterbacks out, he was the highest-scoring fantasy player in the 2010s. Which you know, part of it speaks to when he landed in the league, but um, you know, I just remember how great that guy was at his peak. I like the Seattle offense just fine the way it is. Let's let's not uh, let's not tinker with it. I, I think Russell Wilson throwing those two receivers is, is going to be a blast.
0: Yeah, I think I've said this plenty of times. Like I've I envisioned this receiver core as like Tampa Bay last year. You know, yeah, like well, not, for one though, you know, it's like. I think that they're going to slice off almost 50% of the targets. Those two guys together, you know, Metcalf and Lockett together are going to be like what Evans and Godwin were last year. Like no one else really steps up. It's just those two. The only thing is, you know, 50% of the bucks offense last year was a lot more raw volume than 50% of whatever the Seahawks are going to look like. So yeah, there's always going to be the target. There's going to be a target ceiling on these guys, but I think both these guys are, are number one top-level receivers, and I expect them to produce that way this year. I'm more than happy, like you said, to be ahead of the market on these guys. And, you know, finally, we talked about this. I've been meaning to tweet out, like, a reception perception thread on the Seahawks receivers. I'm committing to do it. I'm doing it Wednesday, tomorrow. I've been meaning to do this for months. Scott, you just pushed me to do it. And I think that's a good place to, to end the podcast. This was a, this was a good talk, and I, I'm glad that we talked some of the more, you know, COVID-heavy stuff, but some more player Uh, analysis as well. And I'm glad we're seeing the same things on some of these NFC West teams. But on that note, we will be back on Thursday. In the meantime, subscribe to the Yahoo sports NFL podcast with the aforementioned Therese Paler and Charles Robinson. And just another heads up that you can sign up for fantasy football on Yahoo.com. We have standard leagues, best ball, the whole operation. What are you waiting for? Follow us on Twitter at Yahoo fantasy. I'm at Matt Harmon, underscore BYB. That is Scott at Scott, underscore Pianowski. We are out.